0: One person's hate speech is another person's truth. And I would much rather allow extremists to have their horrible say than shut down all of society in a vain attempt to stop what we might consider to be extremism.
1: So if you classify one thing as hate speech, then that can, that can stretch and it grows into so many other areas. And who gets to control it? And that's the problem.
0: Bare-faced abuse could be considered hate, I'm no fan of that, but calling out things that we disagree with or activities that are obviously questionable isn't hate speech, that's free speech. And to have government tell us what we can and cannot say, what we can and cannot impart as opinion uh, is just an outrageous attack on democracy. And on freedom. Cybersecurity, safety online. Gosh, I remember back when I had kids, they're all sort of grown up now. We weren't even thinking about those things. And the options that are available now just weren't there. It was texting and phoning, and that was all. And then came the smartphones. So, where are we at in cyberland? How tough is it? Becoming to navigate for young people, particularly in the social media space, the new technologies that are coming in, both uh, visual and audio. What is real? Got to start asking those questions now. We thought it would be a good time to talk about this. Kira Pendergast is the founder of Safe on Social. And out of everyone we kind of looked around at, we thought that Kira could really inform us uh, with this. So she joins us from where are you, Kira? It's somewhere exotic where church bells ring, right?
1: (laughs) It's right now I'm in Florence, Italy, where I spend part of the year um, working. I've got partners in Europe and the UK that we work with.
0: Yeah. Now, I mentioned in the introduction, you know, I've done the family thing, and it was just before this era began. They were just, you know, leaving school, secondary school, as all this technology was starting to sort of. Uh, fall on everyone so this has been very fast coming hasn't it this new what would you call it new era new like almost a virtual reality developing now
1: yeah yeah well jamiroquai did a famous song about that didn't he called virtual insanity back in the 90s and we're getting a bit there now to be honest um I, myself, um, I have a 26-year-old, so I'm very similar to you with that. It was just happening as he was leaving school. Um, the reason I got involved in this world was because I had actually worked in the IT industry predominantly in cybersecurity since about 1991. So I always tell people I'm like the old lady of the internet, now being mm-hmm. 53 and working in social media for so- and this world for so long. but. Um, I've seen it, Paul, on hyperdrive, and it's not uncommon for people in that have had a career path like mine to see certain things on repeat on a different platform, the same right. issues. Is it going to do this? Is it going to do that? We're having exactly the same conversation again now with artificial intelligence that we did with the internet and secure email and all of those things back in the 90s. So it's just hyperdrive it's getting faster and faster and faster the technology is developing i started working specifically in social media in around 2008 2009 when the queensland government at the time asked me to come and talk to all of their cios about this new thing called facebook and whether the government should mm-hmm. use it and i yeah. told them to run a run a mile they didn't listen and here we are
0: so <laughs> why, why were you telling them to run a mile and why didn't they listen
1: Because I was fearful that the government was at the mercy of a big American corporate that could just switch them off one day and they would lose all of their data, which is, in fact, what happened a couple of years ago when uh, Scott Morrison, when he was the Prime Minister of Australia, threatened the big players saying that they had to pay for news media out of Australia. And Facebook's reaction to that was to switch off All of the media from Facebook in, in, you know, certain contexts in Australia and big chunks of the Queensland government, like their helplines and stuff like that, fell as part of that for a couple of days. So, you know, I think we've got to be cautious because like Australia and New Zealand combined do not have the population of California. So it's like we are like an annoying little mosquito down south somewhere that is doing all of this great stuff. And Facebook know
0: that, and Facebook know that, don't
1: they? 100%. We are worth nothing on their bottom line, and we go on a lot of times like we are, (laughs) and we're a big deal, and we're not in the scheme of things. But living and working um, in Europe, Part of the year what i do see is that australia and new zealand are absolutely leading the way by a long shot when it comes to cyber safety
0: by is that right shot. that's oh, yeah. surprising to hear how so We're 10
1: 15 years ahead easy
0: how, how so
1: um you know everything with especially around child exploitation um i know this is you know this is a tough topic but it leads <laughs> into what your radio station all about i i'm very frank with what I talk about. It's conversations that we need to have. Um, you know, there's child exploitation um, law in Australia there's a ho- and New Zealand. I know NetSafe and the E-Safety Commissioner's Office work very closely together, um, as well as our different federal police units to, um, you know, the timing of this being Anzac Day. There's a lot of that still happening, Australia and New Zealand in this sector.
0: Hmm.
1: Um with the police, they have very strong units in Australia and New Zealand around child sexual abuse material, child exploitation. You know, unbeknownst to a lot of people, there is a lot of um, sex trafficking of young people through social media and online. And our police are right onto that. Where when you look at things like there was a case in Hungary a couple of years ago where an MP got caught with 11,000 images of children. On his devices, he got a um, three-month suspended sentence and the equivalent of a thousand Australian dollar fine, and that was it. In Australia, that'd be a fifteen-year jail term. You know, so uh, okay. there's a lot of difference there.
0: Yeah. So when we um, is cybersecurity an umbrella term, or is it split off now, and that's more sort of business and per- personal data like credit cards and that, and the, then we're into the social media space. Is it the same thing or is that now a new category? You've got cybercrime. It's very different. Yeah.
1: It's very different. Very good question. I'm so glad you asked that and I didn't even plant it, you know, (laughs) because that's the first thing that I say when I was talking with a big uh, group of independent schools in the UK last week. I actually said, look, this is what we are not. I don't work in cybersecurity anymore. I'm very, um, very versed in it because I worked in it for 20-odd years before I started this company. Um, But the difference there is cybersecurity is about protecting data and protecting systems in businesses. And so we hear about big cybersecurity hacks happening to banks and government agencies and things like that. Where cyber safety is the umbrella term for protecting the human online and how we interact with things. So, you know, the scams that happen towards a human, like um, sextortion and things like that. And, you know, everything that's galloping ahead, how do we protect the human from, you know, AI text and image generators and sextortion and all of those kinds of things is the work that I do.
0: Policing it, you mentioned the policing that goes on in our part of the world, but mm-hmm. that must be a, a very um, complicated job and intense too. How is that done? I'm visualizing a big room with people pouring over links and leads and, and names and aliases and, and that kind of thing. Is that what it's like or is it more sophisticated even than that these days?
1: Uh, a bit of both yeah a bit of both um obviously they can't disclose a lot what they're talking about and a lot of people aren't um ready to hear it to be honest um Mm. it's 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 you know i can't like the little bit that i've done um directly alongside them i worked on a big program with the afp back in the the late 90s and i was the mother of a two-year-old at the time he's now 26 but I remember those amazing police officers just saying, you cannot see this, you cannot unsee this. So I was very well protected from it and I'm very thankful for that now. But they do see the worst of the worst on the dark web, on the surface web, everywhere. You know, the grooming that goes on daily in games, little games that parents wouldn't even think about being an issue, like Roblox, which is targeting, you know, kids from as young as eight and nine years old, and it's probably the most popular platform in a primary school, is rough with grooming where people are asking little kids to be their boyfriend or girlfriend online or, um, you know, to role play things in these role play games that are in there, like, you know, lay down with my avatar or do this or whatever, which then desensitises the child to that kind of um, behaviour and they think it's normal and so they do more of it and they move them across platforms or whatever. So the police can be dealing with things like that to full-blown big sex trafficking rings. Now, I'm not sure of the equivalent team in New Zealand's name, but I know they have one. In Australia, we have what's called the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation and they have... Groups all around the world that they work with, particularly in the US and Canada and places like that that are well advanced in this. And they're the guys that you hear about on the news, guys and girls, I should say, um, that pretend to be a twelve year old online to what, what a
0: bizarre job that <laughs> must be. I mean, I know it's has to be done, but boy, imagine mm-hmm. doing that, having to
1: no. Horrible, but they do an incredible job and they they work through some amazing things to get uh, keep our kids safe.
0: Okay, so one way of, of stopping this is to severely restrict devices, the availability of devices, um, what smartphones, I would say, mostly to young people. Um, we could easily do that. Yeah, we could, but it won't work. <laughs> Why not? <laughs>
1: Oh, look, Paul, the amount of boarding schools and things that I work in and every school for that matter. um, I had five little girls come up to me recently after a a session because I speak in schools often. I have nine staff that all speak in schools and we all hear it all the time. But I had these group of girls come up to me after the session say, you know what, miss, because I have pretty open conversations with them. So they come and tell me everything like I'm the cool auntie that just swanned into school because we're very much, I've got a team of 12 young people as well that are all under the age of 18. So I know what they want to hear, you know. And these girls said, oh, we pulled all of our um, money together and bought a spare phone so that if any one of us is ever banned or loses their phone or their mum or dad puts monitoring software on it or something like that, they've got this burner for- phone to give the friend that's been banned or whatever so they can oh, stay. See. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's all of those things. There's also, um, you know, the the amount of schools that I see putting those, um, putting restrictions in place and pouches, and this is a big topic all around the world where a lot of schools are introducing phone bans now the total bans never work they don't the often away and restrictions do we need to teach young people how to use a device like they would in the workplace you know so it's a it's a part of life it is not going away we need to have big educational discussions and use devices um properly and teach them the ethics around using them properly and rather than banning them from their device for forgetting to put the bin out. Only ban them from their device if there's a healthy boundary in place, like they're not allowed to have their phones in their rooms overnight. And if they're caught with it in there, yeah, take it away for a week. Those sorts of things. So it's directly aligned.
0: Does it amaze you or is it perfectly natural when you think about it, how readily, particularly young people take to these devices? There's such demand. There's They're so addictive. that. I guess it's because they can all communicate. People just want them, don't they? they got to have them.
1: Yeah. They're addictive. 100%. 100%. You see those little red dots pop up on your screen and you drag straight into it. Um, You know, big data is a big business. So it's, you know, these companies have designed it to keep eyes on screens so that they can, you know, make money out of advertising and all of those things because they're not going to sell something unless people are looking at it and they need to prove that people are looking at it so they can through, you know, that loop back that constantly happens here. And, you know, even walking around the city here on the weekend, you know, I... I'm fortunate to live in one of the most beautiful cities on earth part of the time. Um, My partner's based here. He works out of Dubai, so it just works for us, based here. And it's, you know, to walk around this beautiful city and see people not even looking at things, but looking at their devices is quite extraordinary or, you know, literally holding phones over the top of each other to get the same photo that someone else has taken a thousand times on Instagram. It's it's quite mind-blowing to watch yeah. where we're better up.
0: There must have been some sort of, you know, ancient equivalent to that, Do well, people walk around with little stone tablets like the Flintstones tapping things out. Well,
1: if you're going to see that anywhere, to be here in Italy.
0: <laughs> how are the, I wonder how people's... Time, you know, was occupied when these things weren't here.
1: I don't know.
0: Otherwise, that's a fast evolution.
1: That's right. Well, I had a conversation yesterday with our Italian um, partners, an organisation called New Wellness. They're a not-for-profit that um, do disconnection camps for kids here in Italy. Italy is very strict on quite a few things. So they have these disconnection camps, which are absolutely amazing, and I'm bringing them down south. So It is they will take a group of kids for seven days where the phones are literally locked in a box and they learn permaculture and art. And what they do is they stimulate all of these things that children may not have been exposed to, to spark some interest in something else that's offline. And they're working phenomenally well. It's just people don't take the time look at those traditional things that were a big part of Italian culture, which is art and farming, you know, so it was, it's taking it all back to that. It's really, really interesting how that's working. So, you know, we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, you know, the, it has progressed to a point that its I think it's irreversible, which is a shame. So we just need to, um, you know, really take control and have big conversations with, with young people about how to do life. As well, because it's become a bit of a lost art, you know, just to take time off a device. We've gotten to a point that I think it's really hard to claw back that um, you know, overuse of devices. Some unfortunately, you know, I see some kids with horrible levels of overuse or addiction. Of what what would that be
0: then, Kira? What would overuse be? Just for someone listening oh, yeah. wondering yeah, yeah, how yeah, many yeah. hours, uh, what what sort of pattern?
1: oh, look, I've got a group of I've children that don't leave their bedrooms ever. It's a condition
0: now. Wow, okay.
1: But the addiction is that great, either to gaming or to just device use, what we call like doom scrolling, where it's just hours and hours and hours of swiping through a TikTok videos about random nothingness and all of a sudden they look at the clock and it's like four hours later. It's that addictive at times so we've really got to teach kids from a young age and if one thing I really struggle with it's when I'm in a cafe or something and I see a phone handed to a little one who's in a pram still to keep them entertained so that screen thing is being handed to them to calm them down from a young age like what happened to a coloring book you know or something like that so it's taking control and really understanding that and delaying the use of devices as much as possible is a really good thing as well um they are i get a lot of parents that say to me but my child will be socially isolated if i don't buy them a phone and i'm like rubbish That's rubbish. If I ask a room full of young teens who's told their parents that they're the only kid that doesn't have a phone or an only kid that doesn't have TikTok, most of the room will put their hand up. I did the same thing with my parents saying, but I'm the only one that's not allowed to go to the Midnight Oil concert. You know, we all do it. It's just a different format.
0: It's interesting what you said about, you know, the the young kid getting the phone from the parent. To keep them occupied, obviously, because I was just about to ask you, what is the or what do you find is uh, the parent's relationship to the child's phone? Yeah,
1: well, it's modelling good behaviour is where it starts. You know, you can't ban your child from a device and sit on the lounge and watch TV and be on Facebook at the same time because we see that a lot. As well, parents are really highly addicted to it. I know I go through stages where I'm like looking at my phone constantly, trying to check what's going on. So I make sure that I actually leave it at home and take a few hours and go out with my camera, like the actual physical camera, not my phone camera, and stuff like that. So I have all of these things that I've put in place to make sure that I disconnect. But you know, and depending on someone's job, there's a whole heap of contributing factors. But we do have choices. We choose to be on our phone more than talking to our kids. You know, I'm from a little town in Australia called Byron Bay. You know, I have a mum who still surfs at 76 years old. She rides a longboard. She spends a lot, a lot of time in Gisborne, which is where my big brother lives still. And there, you know, there you
0: go. yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm very fortunate that I had that kind of upbringing. But over summer, the amount of times that I saw people walking right to the edge of the water with their child, holding their child's hand who had a little boogie board or something like that and were barely five or six years old and dad's on the phone at the same time, uh, was quite extraordinary. And I'm like, you can't get those moments back. Take the time, disconnect. Spend time with your children, because one thing on your deathbed that you are not going to say is, "I wish I spent more time on my phone." You
0: know? uh, I think I'd agree with you on that. Um, obviously, have- there are there, there are terrible consequences to what bullying and exploitation, all those things. Um, yeah. And I, have you had any direct experience of that yourself?
1: Oh yeah. Okay, <laughs> really so. Nice yeah. Oh,
0: okay. Well, do you mind just? that I can
1: talk about it now without bursting into tears but it took me a long time thats uh, you know I started a similar organization to the one that I have now that was very focused in the government after that conversation that I had that I told you about earlier where the government asked me to talk about this new thing called Facebook I was asked to write so much policy and training that I couldn't handle the workload. Like I started my own consulting firm off the back of that. So I asked someone who was a really trusted friend to get involved. um, And that was great until it wasn't. And then we had a big fallout over a couple of business decisions. And she bullied me like because I would taught her all of this se- sector. She was in a different field of technology um, and she bullied me and gaslit me and all of the things online so much. I didn't actually leave my house for three months. I, I got to the point where I considered worst-case scenario and the only thing that stopped me was a text from my then 16-year-old son saying, Mum, what's for dinner? And I went home and I started circuit this breaker. company. Yeah, it was the circuit breaker. I started this company the next day. I started the safe on social off the back of the worst possible experience of my life. And now I lost how, I how lost my get... partner. Sorry. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. So I'm sorry to hear about that. I didn't mean to interrupt. But how come it was so bad? How come it affected you so much? You, you can't is there anything you could it have up. done different, you know, and not exposing yourself to that so no. intensely
1: no, it was, like it was so covert and what I was saying was when, you know, my ex died in 2020 during COVID um, of an undiagnosed heart condition and I can tell you his death was easier to deal with than the bullying. I've got to say that, oh, as wow. harsh as it sounds, because it was closed, done, okay? You can put yep. that in a box. But at the time I was 43 years old, I was being called, like, I knew that they were talking about me because she got someone else to...
0: Oh, yeah, I see. Whole, yeah. whole
1: thing. And it was like I was back at high school, but it was hashtag chips and chocolate referring to my size because I was much larger
0: then. Right, okay.
1: And hashtag 140 kilos of merd, which means shit Yeah, you Yeah, no, it's in fr-
0: French, yeah, and yeah. Whoa. Stuff
1: like this every freaking day of the week. And it was like the one that was the hardest was one day she posted a meme that said, if you could rid the world of one thing, what would it be? And she wrote underneath it, easy hashtag chips and chocolate. Uh, and a friend yeah. of mine that had been monitoring everything for me, because it was inescapable. Like you'd see it every day. And then you get to the point with the addiction thing that you're looking for it. Right. Because you want to make sure that you get yeah, survive. It's
0: see like a vortex that on. pulls you in and pulls you down, right?
1: You down, And so I had a friend looking at everything for me and recording it and taking screenshots, and she actually put underneath this particular post, what does chips and chocolate mean? And this person's mother jumped on and said, a fourth-generation lying fat cow from Byron Bay and a whole heap of other stuff. The mother? Stuff. The mother who was like 78 or something. Well, and you can time, see
0: how that behaviour... Oh, yeah, yeah. That, like it then it from. became
1: crystal clear. And it wasn't until I was working with a uh, a woman who's like very famous in the media in Australia, Mia Friedman, that Mia actually called it. She said, you were gaslit," And I went, yeah, I was on a daily basis, online and off. But my point is, even though I chose to block them on absolutely everything Friends would take screenshots and send it to me in the middle of the night.
0: You can't escape it. You can't can't escape it in the end, right?
1: Have you seen this? And it goes on and on and on. And this is what happens to kids.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, you, you're a 43-year-old adult and you just told us how tough it was. You know, Uh, I'm a parent of a teenage kid and I'm not quite sure kind of what they're doing and I might be a little ignorant of the young stuff anyway. I would always probably consider that there was potential for harm there and it was risky. What do I do?
1: You talk to them. You keep having big conversations so that you've created a safe place for them to talk without judgment about anything, okay? Take them for drives in the car and say, I heard this woman talking on the radio this morning and she was talking all about bullying. Have you seen it? Has it happened to one of your friends? Never make it directly to your child. What would you do if you saw that happening to one of your mates and see what they come back with and then go from there and have these conversations? A friend of mine, Maggie Dent, who's a parenting expert, will say, especially if you've got boys in the car take them for a big, long drive through every drive through food place you could possibly find and take the long way home. If you get them talking, keep them talking. And a really good place to do that is actually in the car because you're not sitting directly opposite them. It's a lot more casual when they're beside you and always make it, hey, has this happened to a friend? I heard about this thing called sextortion. Um, Has this happened to any of your friends? And they'll go, oh, yeah, it happened, blah, blah, blah. And then you can go from there, you know, because it's all happened to all of them. It's all touched their circles, but Mm. guarantee it, you know. They just don't know how to talk about it because they're fearful you're going to take their device off them. So if you make it about another child or children and say, you know, if that ever happened to you, I wouldn't ban you from your device. You need to just speak up and tell me so I could help you. That's the conversation that you need to be having a very calm conversation.
0: Because as you mentioned before, you know, parents also use these devices to keep very young kids at now it seems occupied. The convenience of that might override sort of thinking too deeply about the downsides. Yeah,
1: yeah Correct. Well, the thing is, you know, I get when I speak in schools and do parent talks and things like that. A lot of parents don't turn up because we're now going into a generation of parents that are first generation MySpace. Okay. They're starting to have babies. And they were the first ones on MySpace. And now they've got four, five, six year olds.
0: But by the way, they- does that still exist? Is MySpace no. I haven't it's gone, right? I mean, I've put MySpace.com and it'll probably come out as available. And it's still
1: <laughs> come up. Oh, no, no, it'll still be there, but it's, look, no one yeah. uses it. Boy, has it
0: been that long? Yeah, okay, it has.
1: Yeah, it's been nearly, you know, it's been 20, well, close to 20 years, 15, yeah, 20 years. Close, yeah. Um, but, the you know, with those people, they think they know a lot about social media and cyber safety. I can guarantee you they have the worst things to deal with because they had no skills taught to them at all because their parents had never dealt with social media. They didn't know what was coming. They
0: couldn't have even conceived of it, let's be honest. Uh,
1: There was no education in schools and it changes on a daily basis. Like I'm doing a big webinar on Wednesday night, um, your time, about AI, AI Unplugged and how that's working in social media, because like here in Italy, things like ChatGPT are banned because they've got really strict privacy laws here. Yet in Australia, you can use it everywhere. So, you know, how can we use that better? What's coming? What the hell is my AI in Snapchat? Because that's the most terrifying thing I've seen to date. Snapchat have created a little um, virtual friend in a child's friends list on Mm. Snapchat they've all got it. You cannot remove it.
0: Oh, it okay. There. So it's a default, is it?
1: It's default. You cannot remove it unless you are a Snapchat plus subscriber. Oh, okay. Only the people that pay for Snapchat can remove it. But literally I took a screen record for this presentation and I typed in, I said, where am I? And it said, I haven't got access to that kind of information. And then I said, I'm bored, and it said, "What do you like to do when you're bored?" And I said, "I like to go to the beach, but I live in a in a city that ha- only has a river." And it came back with, "These are the beaches closest to the metropolitan city of Florence." So even though it's trying to tell me it didn't know where I was, it started to list beaches, even a little bar that calls itself a beach club, 700 meters from my house. So it was, yeah. it's creepy and really, really creepy. So yeah. There's all of those things coming uh, now. I too. was
0: watching. You just reminded me. I was watching a video. It was a Jordan Peterson clip. I can't remember the exact scenario, but uh, what he asked Chat GPT is it is it the name of it? Yes. To do was to mix two philosophies uh. and explain. I think, and then the AI to explain how Jordan Peterson would present that. Yes. It it, it did that, and it wrote it in three seconds.
1: Yes. It's and extru-
0: it was all completely intelligible and. Kind of like how he would have put it. Three seconds.
1: Yeah, as a research assistant, it's incredible. But we've got to remember that ChatGPT and things like it are only indexed to 2021, so a lot of it is out of date. So you need to know what you're talking about before you use ChatGPT or it can be full of errors and things like that. So this is why there's a lot of, like I've just finished writing a policy pack for for organisations I work with around enabling people to use ChatGPT and other image generators and um, text generators in the workplace because there is room for them from a productivity level. KPMG came out yesterday and said they've embedded AI into their audit tools because it just goes on hyperdrive. So it's going to save money in some circumstances and time, but there is a lot of errors in it. Like I've used it and put it through its paces extensively, I was in Hong Kong working at a school up there a few weeks ago and one of the teachers was interested in AI and I was talking to him about it and he went back to the classroom with his Year 12 class and said, write an ode to Agatha Christie in the tone of Barack Obama. And so all the kids were doing these kinds of um, experiments with it, you know, so they love it. And it's a, it, it reminds me, like I've been around this sector for so long, I was part of the team that sold the original equipment to UTS in Sydney University of Technology to connect Australia to the internet so that people like you and I could use it at home. And it reminds me of then. Like there was a lot of academics and stuff that were going, whoa, this is going to open up for plagiarism and and cheating and all of that. Well, yeah, there's always going to be the risk of that. But if we're disclosing chat GPT as a credit or a reference like you do with any other kind of academia, I can't see why it's a problem personally with those. No, no, it's of-
0: it's more the technology uh, and what it can do yeah. because if we're talking about um, getting back to the nasty parts of cyber, if you've got an engine that can figure someone out yeah, and and then appeal to that already, you know, yeah. Uh, AI well, analyzed saying, like, psycho profile. You can yeah. you you can start doing some even worse things. Um, you can immerse young people in, in a world where you you can't know that where the boundary of real and and not real is anymore. And that that's a would be a huge worry. That's a huge worry, isn't it's
1: it? It's already here. Oh gosh! <laughs> with, with my AI and Snapchat. Yeah. Like when you look at that. If your child, your teen's got. Is that Snapchat. what that does?
0: It figures out kind of who you are as an individual and starts to appeal to them. Well, that. it's
1: learning of you. And this is what kids need to understand is that when they're pumping stuff into AI, like any of those text generators and things like that, thinking that they're just asking it questions, it's learning from it as well. So if they're putting in any personal information, it's learning from that personal information and they've got to, you've got to be aware of those kinds of things. Yes, there is a dark side to this like we have the dark web. We've got to absolutely the things that scare me are the the deep fakes and what's going to happen with the porn industry and how many people are going to get wrapped up in all of that and some really heinous
0: well, let's, things. Let's talk creative. about deep, let's talk about deep fakes because yes. that's a, a reasonably new thing and it was clunky at first. You could kind uh, of oh, see yeah, the face now. mapped on. Not now. It's organic. No. It's organic yeah. looking now. The same with the voices. The voice prints are so yeah. real that, you know, um, I was thinking of maybe s- just selling my voice print and you can go and voice your stuff in my voice and sort of try to make money that way. Maybe there's an opportunity there. But you Take know what it I'm it saying? Um, yeah. Verifying yeah. if the actual person is actually saying it is going to become very tricky How are we going to navigate that, do you think?
1: Well, that's the thing. There needs to be, this is where things like, like, oh, I could go deep tech with you now, Paul. But this is where things like blockchain technology and things like that come in, which is like distributed ledger, where one thing can't change without encryption keys to unlock certain things. So if there's a voice recording out there, you can verify it through that. So like AI, deep fakes, all of that have a long way to go until they've got all of that security in place that we need. This is why um, like the big brains on the planet are trying to halt the development of AI until ethics and laws and things catch up with it because it's scary and it can be really scary. And they're saying by An article that I read yesterday with, again, some big academic brains involved are saying by 2059 it'll be conscious. So if we keep going at the rate we're going, can be quite terrifying. But as you said, we've seen that with deep fakes. Like you have a look at deep Tom Cruise on TikTok, it's, freaking Tom Cruise. It's, it's yeah. really quite incredible. Yeah, there's no Tom.
0: obvious sign, even blowing it up, and, and I've done a lot of video work, so I know about pixels and clear-cutting yeah. and keying and all those things. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. There's no inconsistency in the picture that f- forensically you could say, after analysing in that way, that this is fake or this is real.
1: That's right. And I work with a lot of um, very high-profile sports, sports people, and that's a big fear is deep fakes. So, you know, the way that you can protect yourself with those kinds of things is like making sure in profile photos that you're looking down or you're wearing glasses or, you know, you've got a hat on or something like that. So you're not like full frontal, like a passport photo where it's easy to clip your face and put it onto something else. Be really conscious about the pictures that you're putting out there, especially of your children. You know,
0: and people parents love care. to take thousands of pictures. So oh, how many of those are out oh, there?
1: Yeah, exactly. That that you know, that's the scariest thing for me is when I see parents not joining the dots. You know, I don't want to bash parents on this kind of one at all, but it's just learning to think. If you post a photo that says hashtag first day of school, for example, in school uniform, okay. Now, you can have your account locked down to whatever so that you've only got a few people seeing it, but you don't know what those few people are doing with it, who's taking a screenshot, where that's ending up, what this technology is going to look like in the future, what kind of privacy breach or hack is going to happen. And next minute we've got on your Instagram account, think about it. You've got a photo of your kid. You've probably got their name somewhere for something. You've got them in school uniform. Then you've got a photo of the dog or the cat or the whatever at some point in there. You've then got, oh, happy birthday, darling. I'm so proud of you. And you can see in the background that there's a photo of a cake and they're 10, okay? So all of a sudden we've got their birthday. So then fast forward 15 years and a child is doing a password reset on their bank account and it says, where did you go to primary school? What was the name of your first pet? What's your mum's maiden name? All of those kinds of things and you've just blown their cyber security out the window. so. It's going to look different, but we need to be thinking about the short stuff and the long stuff and all of those basics that we haven't even gotten right while we're still looking at what's happening with AI. So it's like.
0: Well, well I, as you were saying that, I'm thinking criminal AI could scan for all that sort of stuff and put it together. 100 And start 100%. draining bank accounts.
1: <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Not one day goes past that I don't have someone contact me because they've been scammed. I've had high profile people contact me quietly to say, I just lost 42 grand in a cryptocurrency scam. And I have to literally tell them it's very difficult for the police to look for anything under seven figures. You know, it's like there's. Gosh.
0: Yeah. It's gone, basically. It's gone. I
1: don't think it's not going to happen to you. It's happened to me. You know, I was. Thinking I was paying a toll, overdue toll notice ages ago now, and sixteen hundred dollars went out of my bank account before the bank slammed down on it. You know, I got the money back, but it can happen to anyone. I get
0: one of those a week. Parcel, yeah. your parcel is waiting for you. Is a common one. Yeah, and well, I can see this was
1: a text saying yeah. I'd missed, I hadn't paid a toll through yeah. a Sydney toll gate, and it was now seventeen dollars with admin fees. And I get them so often that yeah. I just. Went oh, through,
0: well, yeah. click
1: through to the website. I'm at the airport about to fly out of the country. I That's thought, I'll just right. do that now. Click through, click through, bang, gone, money gone. Next how long go. How
0: long did it take for the money to go, just asking? Well,
1: it was about two weeks later that I was getting um, messages from the bank oh, saying right. yeah. that there'd been transactions that looked a bit weird. And when I jumped onto my account, I could see, they were patterns, so it was quite clearly a. Block. Oh, so
0: they they, they sort of uh, chip off.
1: Yeah, amounts. it was so whittle it
0: down. Yeah, two
1: hundred and forty-six dollars at Coles Express in three different suburbs in Sydney, and oh, then you know there was three hundred and fifty-three dollars. So there were these random amounts that were repeating, and it was that's what they called it when it.
0: You, you have to admit, though, these people who put together some of the scams, I mean, the horrible scams, and they and they have devastating consequences, but they're bloody smart, aren't they?
1: They're very smart, and it's just escalating. It's everywhere, and, you know, everywhere, and it's impossible to keep on top top of it. So, you know, AI and policing will be really interesting too, and what are the ethics around all of that? There's already discussions in the States where they use um you know, facial recognition technology. And one of the um, apps, I can't recall the name of it, so I won't mention it, actually says that um, they've scraped the faces of a billion people from Facebook to populate this database that's used to scan for criminals. So, therefore, it's got people that are completely innocent in it.
0: In the database. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it just goes on and on and on and on. Honestly, I you know, my big teacher training goes for six hours for a reason. <laughs> Cause it just goes on and you go down a rabbit hole and off you go.
0: Well, um, you make a good point about facial recognition. We have it in the supermarkets here now. I think people are only now becoming conscious that it's there. But no one ever yeah. asked the customer. No one said, Hey, do we mind taking do you mind yeah. us taking snaps of your face every time you come in the store? And you might have been in a hundred okay. times since. It's sort of it, it was very stealthy. And the yeah. reason I mentioned that, that doesn't give us much confidence when it comes to the regulators because we should have been ahead of that even yeah. before. Yeah. You know, there's a great paper. It, right?
1: yeah, there's a great paper released by UTS in Sydney um, about exactly about that, about facial recognition technology and the law around surveillance tech and things because there is no law around it. So all of these organisations that are gathering our face and things are doing it without any kind of lawfulness behind them. And there's a great um, documentary called Coded Bias on Netflix that talks about surveillance technology. It talks about AI, VR, AR, all of that high-tech stuff from the perspective that, you know, it's the similar way that I've been speaking about it for a long, long time, but they've actually got people working in it. So it focuses on the digital divide as well, which is something we really have to look at because some of this tech is expensive. You know, even using chat GPT to get the proper version of it, you need to pay $20 a month. Now I can afford $20 a month,
0: mm, yeah,
1: but it, somebody else mightn't be able to. And so there's that divide there based on socioeconomics. And Coded Bias talks about not only that, but the bias in AI and surveillance tech and things like that, because the young girl that they focus on is studying robotics at MIT in um, the States. And the only way that it starts detecting her face better is when she puts a white mask on, because she's African American.
0: And so So all of this
1: has been. Mm. Coded by middle-aged like you know men in their <laughs> yeah. mid-30s that are white yeah. so it's like it's leaning to that already we have those big problems
0: yeah and you know the facial recognition what's a countdown doesn't like the radio station i work on uh, am i going to be allowed in because it knows i'm there yeah i know right. that's probably not a, a a likely thing, but that—that's how it can be misused. Okay, so for parents and back to kind of where we started, for parents and grandparents too. There'll be some grandparents listening, and you know, kids will come and stay. They've got their devices there. Uh, you mentioned don't take the, the, their device away; that ain't going to work. Um, but you need to talk to them. So, assuming you've done that, should you though um, breach their privacy? Let's say and look into their devices or demand to know. You know where you're visiting, where you're going. I mean, I'd be as a parent, I'd be curious to know that, but I, I don't know if it would be acceptable for me to to go to that level.
1: No, well, look, I think you need to think about it from this perspective. If you bought them a device, you bought them the device. You need to respect the fact that you've bought them a device that can hide a lot of stuff from you as well. You know, and to be frank, depending on their age. So if they're younger, yeah, absolutely. If they're little ones, you can put like Life360 or anything that's going to track their location on it and things like that. To well, make wait sure on,
0: should there a be a threshold? There must be an age at which it's too young to have a device like this, even though oh, you 100%. know they're probably capable of working it out at five or, or, or six or yeah, something. Yeah, they are.
1: But also, you know, you've got to take into consideration that they're using them at school from a very young age, iPads and things like that. But also I see all the time kids that are diabetic, for example, or have another health condition that's managed okay. from a Now, yeah. So you, you can't really tell. But if I was to say try and hold it off until they're at least 14.
0: Okay, 14. Say, yeah. 14, yeah.
1: 15 one, they're over the age recommendation guideline, which isn't a law, but all of the apps are 13 plus for a reason, Um, then, you know, they can also start to make better decisions. Like, you know, if I had a younger child, I would absolutely try and hold them off, especially young girls, until they're about 16, when they've developed some sense of self-worth before they start being bombarded with images of what they think is perfection on a daily basis.
0: So you said young girls, are, are young girls more susceptible than young boys?
1: No, with body image issues because they're bombarded with how perfect their bodies need to be from a very young age they often cop a lot of body shaming and things and while that does happen to young boys it happens more to girls and you know it's an analogy I just had one of my young team write about body image and social media in the wake of all of those new dove commercials that have come out about body positivity and things like that and then you know the thing that constantly comes up is the comparison. It's no different to when, you know, my grandmother subscribed me to Dolly magazine when I was 13. So once Mm. a month I had Elle McPherson and all of that lot in my face and I realised I was never going to look like that, you know, where kids now have got that 24-7. Yeah,
0: I was going to say once a month is maybe you can deal with that. But every minute of every day, even in the middle of the night, um, yeah. I, I remember when I my youngest daughter, they had a, it was a phone thing, but it wasn't a smartphone thing, and they had a little chat group where they could all conference call. Sometimes mm. I'd hear it at 2.33 in the morning oh, talking. Right. on right. a school but night. My, I said, hey, my, hang on there, boom, boom, boom on the door. You've got to be asleep. So, my number
1: one piece of advice to parents is always, always get the phone out of the bedroom. They yeah. do not need it the messages, they get group chat messages, 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning. It's disrupting their sleep. There has been multiple studies done to show that is a direct contributor to the rise of anxiety and depression in young people is sleep disruption from internet connected devices in the bedroom. Number one, get it out. Just They're going to scream the house down, but get so, it uh... out. <laughs> the bedroom. You've yeah. got to do it. You've got to lock it up. That's Got to be a boundary because you are doing enormous favors for your child taking that away. Not only that, the amount back to the bullying thing, the amount of times that I've had kids come up and say, "I received this message at quarter to eleven last night," and it's like I'm going to bash you at school tomorrow or okay, something so you're like got, that. You're not but then get they're awake sleep. all night, yeah, no freaking sleep. out about, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, that's horrible.
1: So it's all of those things, you know.
0: So no, would that be the, the the most simple thing? one could do with with young people anyway is what at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, when you're off to bed, phone stays with me and you'll get it in the morning.
1: That's right. I will send you a my top 10 tips for role modeling positive and mindful technology use that you can put on the website that yeah, we'll people do that. can download if you want. Um, and it just goes through my top 10 tips are like setting boundaries for tech use establishing times and places in the home where the device is like um, not allowed out during meal times and things like that you know being mindful engaging in offline activities practicing positive and respectful communication you know all of these things that are really simple but they're the top 10 things that you should be doing as a parent to make sure it's a safer space for your child
0: well, if you could do that, we we can we can 100%. put that up. I'm 100%. sure people are going to be interested because this um I think it's a confusing thing to confront, isn't it? Uh first of all, you have to imagine the worst out there to understand yeah. the boundaries of what you're dealing with. And then you've got to balance out sort of surveillance on particularly, you know, kids, but not being too invasive because that causes a problem as well. So I think uh, tips they, like that would be very useful.
1: And they may go on to have a big, successful career in tech. You've got to it's yeah. that yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people those, will.
0: That's uh, the sort of world we're living in.
1: in the gaming industry and everything, you know. There's, well, there's Is that extraordinary... where boys are
0: vulnerable? Sorry to jump in. Is that where boys are vulnerable through gaming?
1: Uh, sometimes, yes. More um, through... Uh, The biggest vulnerability I'm seeing in young men at the moment is around sextortion, which is when, you know, one of their other friends from another school, it might be a a girl that they think they know or a boy or whatever, has a public account on Instagram, for example. Um, A scammer, like these are literally criminal gangs that do this now, will come along take screenshots of that other child and create an account that looks exactly like them. The only difference is they'll put a little underscore under the name or something at the end. So there's a slight little typo. They then start, you know, throwing direct message requests out to all of the kids that that other person is connected to and they'll usually target, you know, someone that they think might have some sort of romantic interest. In them, And so then they start sending the messages like they have a romantic interest in them. And one case that I worked on recently, when the mum got in touch, the 15 year old boy, this exactly had happened to him. And he'd gotten into this hot and heavy conversation, which he thought was a girl from another school. She'd asked him to send a nude, he sent a full frontal nude of himself, standing in front of the mirror. And The minute he sent it, they came back saying, if you don't pay us $500 in the next hour, we're going to start sharing this in the group chat. And And they started doing it. So he called, triple zero, called the police. And the police, kids need to understand that if they are the target of something like that, they are never going to get in trouble from the police. Yeah, they've broken a law by taking a photo of themselves and sending it because that's production and distribution of child exploitation material if they're under 16. But if someone's using it against them, the police aren't going to go after the kid. They're going to go no, after the people not. trying to exploit them, you know? So they need to understand those Wow, I,
0: I hadn't thought of that one. That that's that would be horrible to have that happen yeah, to you.
1: And it happens. Oh, I had a... A grown man who works in the cybersecurity industry contacted me last week with exactly the same thing happened to him and he was in his 40s. So it happens to anybody. You've just got to be really careful of those kinds of things because online dating, like Tinder and all of that, have made sharing those kinds of images quite normal. You know, it's totally normalized. Well, not
0: shocking. Kind of-
1: no, yeah. kind of online flirting happens that way, and oh, gosh. but you've got to be super careful because yeah, you know that can turn around in a minute. There, you know, don't pay them, call the police. Never be ashamed to speak about it. You know, yeah. it's happening all the time. You will not be the first person that the police have had to deal with with that, and it will always be treated with utmost confidence.
0: So, okay. Yeah. All right. It's been fascinating speaking with you, Kira Pendergast, the founder and CEO of safeonsocial.com, beaming in from Florence, where I'm sure the next walk you go on, you won't be looking at your phone. You'll be looking at the architecture and the beautiful uh, vistas Great. that you have there.
1: Before, before my 36-hour flight back to uh my hometown of Byron Bay next weekend. Okay. Yeah, it's,
0: it's the last leg. That's the long bit, is it? Dubai
1: to Brisbane is okay.
0: 15, well, 15, well, thanks 000. for making some some time for us, and there's some great useful information in there, and uh, all the best with what you're doing with uh, SafeOnSocial.com. I think a lot of us suspected that we needed to know more, and I'm lucky. I'm out of the parent business now, like that, but uh, to see how far this could go is it's astonishing. Um, yeah. You know that uh, thinking back to the MySpace and comparing it with now, wow,
1: yeah, it's incredible. Well, I'll, I'll send through that that cheat sheet that I promised as well, so you can yep.
0: pop that up. Do that. Thanks for your time, and we might talk yeah. again. Okay, pleasure. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.